Welcome to Into the Breach, a reps and warranties policy podcast by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer, partners and co-leaders of the Transactional Underwriting Council practice at Cyforth Shaw, interviewing leaders from the industry and exploring the latest developments, market trends, and news impacting RWI and the transactional risk insurance markets. Welcome to the latest edition of Into the Breach. I'm Brian O'Keefe, and I'm joined by my co-host, Jenna Usenheimer. And how are you on this Tuesday morning after the 4th of July, Jenna? Pretty good. I actually feel pretty rested and relaxed, Brian. How are you? I'm doing very well. And I, uh, uh, for our loyal pod listeners, they know that I've been on a tour of the world lately, and I'm in a different location. I'm not in Newburyport, Massachusetts, and I'm not at my parents' 55 plus retirement community, but I happen to be in Boston, Massachusetts, and it's Sideflower's uh, headquarters in Boston here. So that's where I'm taping from this morning. It's my first time doing this from the office. Well, it's very exciting. I can also see the Sideflower's colors in your background there, that sort of like seafoam green, like the color motif in that Boston office. Yeah. Adds a certain amount of calm to the air here on 4th of July, huh? It does. It does. That's true. Well, so we don't put our listeners to sleep. We have a very exciting guest with us today, uh, and we are very honored to have him uh, have him be joining us. And our guest today is uh, Tom Bonfilio, and he is the Senior Vice President at the Transactional Practice at uh, CAC Specialty. Um, for, uh, for our regular listeners, we had CAC on in one of the first episodes. So this is actually uh, sort of our first time that we've had a a repeat uh, organization on Jenna. This is another sort of milestone in the podcast here, huh? Wow, it's exciting. Well, welcome, Tom. Thank, thank you, uh, Jenna and Brian, for uh, inviting me. And I feel like there's a very high bar now with that milestone that you just said. So I hope uh, not to disappoint. Well, we're, we're sure you won't. We'll send your organization a, a plaque or a trophy or something since you're the first uh, first repeat here on, uh, on Into the Breach. But um, uh, we know that you're actually relatively new to CAC, and um, the reason, the sort of topic of today's uh, discussion on the pod and, and why we wanted uh, to have you on as a guest, um, we've had uh, some different uh, shows talking about uh, career aspects of this. We had Dave uh, Anderson on a, a couple episodes ago talking about uh, how, to make a, how to make a career in reps and warranty insurance, and we thought, Tom, that you had a very uh, interesting background to share and that you had been a a sort of long-term uh, underwriter, and now you had switched hats and became a broker, and sort of talking about uh, you know those two types of roles since you're now over at CAC. So we're very excited to have you on today to be discussing that subject. But um, before we get into that, maybe you just want to give a little bit of um, uh, background about yourself and uh, and how you've come to your role here at uh, CAC. Sure, absolutely. Um, so my background is I, I graduated from Temple University undergrad. Uh, with a degree in risk management and insurance. So unlike a lot wow. of people who end up saying, hey, I fell into insurance, I actually deliberately chose. Yeah. <laughs> I was 20 years old. So, um, you know, when, when you go to one of these seminars and they're like, hey, if you want to guarantee yourself a job after college, come join the risk management insurance uh, path. It, it was a pretty compelling argument at the time. Yeah. And it worked out so well. So, And I'm here. I mean, come on. I'm on one of the most popular podcasts. <laughs> I heard you guys are right, right behind Joe Rogan and Oprah, so I, I feel like I'm winning right now. That's um, right. That's right. 
Uh, and then, you know, my first professional job was at Aon. Uh, I started off in the property and casualty due diligence group, where I was basically responsible for preparing those due diligence reports that everyone in this reps and warranties process is now familiar with. Um, I did that for a number of years. Uh, and then I was a formative member of the Aon's transaction solutions team as they were sort of gathering resources to start up that group and what, you know, what is now obviously one of the larger uh, practice groups in this industry. Um, and then in spring 2014, I joined Concord Specialty Risk, uh, who I'm sure most of your listeners are familiar with. Um, you know, Dave, Dave and I had many conversations and we thought that there was an area in the market to handle small to mid-market reps and warranties deals. So we established a platform or a process called Reps Express. And the idea behind that process was that we wanted to have uh, some way to address small deals, which we defined as 10 million limit request or less, um, and try to make it less of a sort of detailed underwriting process and more sort of the DNO path. You fill out an application. Mm -hmm. If the risk fits a certain profile, uh, use a form policy that doesn't you know, have a lot of negotiation or a lot of modifications, get through quick underwriting and, and place the deal. Um, what, what we learned quickly, maybe not quick enough, was that in 2014 and even 2015, the marketplace wasn't really ready for this product. Um, you know, I, I know that, and maybe we'll get into this later, but it seems like maybe there's some other markets that are trying to address this issue now. Um, but, you know, it, when we started Reps Express, we, uh, we realized that we needed to, to sort of shift focus a little bit. Um, so after doing that for a couple of years at Concord, I sort of shifted to working on just every submission that came in, all sizes. Um, and then I resigned from Concord in fall 2020. And uh, I launched a, an insurance and M&A consulting firm called Merit Risk LLC. Um, the goal of this firm was to provide outsourced underwriting and brokerage services. Um, you know, being on at the Concord side and seeing where the industry was sort of in 2020, I saw a lot of, you know, uh, I saw a need out there for someone to be able to provide added outsource value. Uh, so I tried to do that with Merit Risk. And then uh, I started at CAC in, in May of 2021, this past May. I've been here for a little under two months at this point. And as you mentioned, Brian, as is SVP on the transactional liability team. So Tom, so I think um, it's a very interesting background and, and I thought for a long time uh, that, um, that there's a whole swath of people that are potentially great fits for this industry, but are not uh, being picked up in this industry because we focus uh, exclusively or almost exclusively on hiring people from corporate law firms. And I'll say this as a lawyer, um, you know, I think that, uh, you know, lawyers can be overly risk adverse sometimes. And some of the things that really make you a great lawyer don't necessarily make you uh, someone who can, you know, judge insurance risks uh, correctly. So I, I think that it's a, you know, it's a unique background to, to be having for this. And I imagine you provide a, a lot of value in kind of having a very different background than the many of the lawyers that are involved in this area. Yeah, yeah, no, I think that's a great point. Um, you know, I, obviously, most of my colleagues are either practice, former practicing lawyers or CPAs. And I think having just a variety of perspectives when you're reviewing any sort of deal, whether it's Sorry. on an underwriting basis or, you know, as a broker, I think it's always helpful because you may be seeing things from a different angle that someone else who, you know, is a specialist in contract law may not necessarily be paying attention to. Yeah, yeah I think that's a 
100% right. And I think that, yes, there's obviously so much value the lawyers bring to the process, but I think having somebody like yourself who, as you said, literally went to school um, and learned about insurance, uh, I just think that that's a great background. And I think you're just a great testament to the, uh, you know, to to perhaps uh, looking sometimes outside the box a little bit for some for some hires in this industry. So, um, well, uh, moving beyond kind of your background, so, um, you know, and I think the subject of our show today was, you know, kind of comparing and contrasting uh, roles as an underwriter versus roles as a broker, given that you've had a, a career, a long career as an underwriter, and, you know, now you're back on the brokering side of this uh, bed. And, you know, maybe we could just start off by, you know, uh, what are, you know, surprising differences, similarities between the roles um, in, in terms of folks out there who might be, uh, who might be in between what, what they might want to do. Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, just a little bit about what it means to sort of be an underwriter. I know that you've had a couple of underwriters on, on the pod so far. Um, so, you know, just from a process standpoint, it's pretty straightforward, right? You're getting submissions in from the broker community. You're going to review it. It's going to get assigned to you. You're going to issue an MBIL if you like it, and then you're going to get chosen to underwriting. Um, and then, you know, when you're getting, getting chosen to start underwriting on a deal, that's when sort of the rubber really hits the road. Um, when I started back in 2014, there were only six primary markets available. So uh, everything was shifted a little differently than it is now with, you know, there's over 20 markets right now in 2021. Um, you know, timelines have been condensed, underwriting criteria shifted, uh, the way you approach policy negotiations and sort of, uh, you know, modifications to the agreement for policy purposes has also changed. Um, what sort of people don't really uh, mention on your pod, I'm kind of surprised no one's gotten into this, and maybe this is just because of my perspective from shifting away from underwriting. Um, underwriting reps and warranties insurance in 2021 is incredibly difficult. Mm -hmm. um, we think so too. It is, uh, it is I, I, I sound very pessimistic when I say it. it's almost an impossible task in a lot of ways to underwrite properly. Um, you're relying on so many levels of you know, reliance on information. Um, that there's so much separation between actually underwriting a deal and what you understand the risk to be. Um, I think, you know, as I've sort of stepped away from underwriting and maybe even when I was there and what sort of dro drove me to join CAC is that there's four really main qualities, I think, of a broker that you would hope that they possess, right? You want someone who's transparent. You want someone who's honest, communicative, and also forthcoming with information. Um, after you have those four qualities in a broker, you hope that your client, whether it's a buyer, seller, a private equity fund, or a corporate strategic, you hope that they also have those same qualities, since those are the ones that you're actually representing and working on the deal with. Right. Then, on top of that, you hope that they hire high-quality third-party advisors. Right. right. <laughs> and then, right. after that, you hope that those third-party providers provide meaningful due diligence, and then hope that they memorialize those findings in robust due diligence reports. When I was right. sort of started underwriting, right, the criteria was, okay, so we're going to get a fulsome legal report, we're going to get a fulsome quality of earnings report, we're going to get a fulsome tax report, and then, you know, hopefully the phase ones and the property and casualty, those, those are sort of cherries on top. Now in 2021, we've had to deliver, and when I was underwriting this last year, you have to deliver a lot of messages like, hey, they're going to do a red flag report, and it's going to be a bold point list, and hey, you know, they hired outside counsel, but they really only had like oral discussions that they're going to, but they could talk about everything on the call. As an underwriter, you're basically given like no sort of preparation for what you're going into on your due diligence call. So um, I, I respect the underwriting industry a lot. I think that there is still a way to make money and be profitable and be selective with risk, but it is much more difficult than it was six years ago. 
we've definitely seen that. That's definitely a growing trend. And I sometimes I wonder if it's the buyer tells their outside counsel, like we are only spending X amount on diligence. So if you can't cover X, Y, and Z, don't cover X, Y, and Z. And then we're left with no diligence on whatever those subjects are, or if it's looking ahead to knowing that the policy is going to be there to backstop any loss. It's just, it's, we've definitely noticed that pattern. Yeah. Yeah. It's interesting. Um, you know, Jenna, you and I got to know each other by working on some deals. Of talking, Just like what that. Talking yeah. about, right? <laughs> Where, oh, we asked questions and they said, what are you talking about? Why would we have to have reviewed this? And yes. that's, that's concerning. <laughs> and I think that sort of those experiences led me to want to go back on a broker side to help sort of reset and re-level expectations uh, for all parties. I, I just think that the industry has gotten to a point now where everything's rushed. You need to be able to underwrite a deal in three days. You have to hope that yes. they did, did their, their correct diligence. And then you have to hope that everything checks out and we can get the deal done. And then honestly, like the markets are looked at sort of negatively if they're not, if they're asking too many questions on an underwriting call or have too many follow-ups. Yes. Um, so th th I think there's an interesting balance to be played there for sure. So tell us about your, now that you're, you've moved over to the broker side, I mean, how is that going and how are those experiences? And do you feel like you're able to effectuate this change or? Yeah, like, so, so yep. small incremental improvements, right? I think sure. every day <laughs> right. trying, yep. trying. Yep. Um, I, I'm very excited. Uh, you know, I've known the people here at CAC, uh, Michael Wakefield and David Barnes for a number of years, actually going back to the Reps Express days. So uh, I've known them for a while. I've sort of highly respected them. And I, you know, I have former colleague, uh, Jordan, Jordan Tamshin, who came over and runs a tax practice now at CAC, oh, right. who, who I worked with at Concord. Um, so, you know, I, I really, I'm enjoying the new challenge. Um, I think that there is a lot going from underwriting to broking that you could provide in terms of value add. Um, I, I feel like one of the things that maybe helps differentiate me as a broker is I am understanding more usually about the risk when it comes in than maybe yeah. someone who is not used to analyzing these things over the past, you know, six to eight years. So, um, yeah, it's, it's been very exciting here so far. And have you found, I think, I know you mentioned there's kind of four things before. I mean, have you found that, that those uh, sort of infusing, I guess, your own broker practice with those ideals, I would imagine that would help, uh, you know, help you kind of bridge this gap, I guess, between, you know, what the buyer may expect and what the underwriter expects. And I mean, I, I completely agree with everything you said. And I think that would actually be really, I think it's very important for brokers to kind of have that perspective. Yeah, it's tough because we've, um, <laughs> the market has been pushed so far in one direction at this point, yeah. where you are almost, um, I, I don't know what the, the best term would be, but you, you almost sound like you're nagging people to say, hey, like, can you tell me what diligence reports have been prepared, like at the early stage of the submission, right? Like, it shouldn't be a surprise or like a negative thing to find that information out. Um, you know, I, coming over to the broker side, I wanted to make sure I wasn't one of those see below and attached, you know, forward every email and look, look what we've sort of included. I think you need to provide some sort of value as a broker and try to help understand and level set the client expectations. So that, that's what I've been trying to do since I've been here. In May. And what's your favorite part about being a broker? Yeah, I, I think going back to being client facing has been really wonderful. Um, yeah. You know, as an underwriter, yeah, there, there's just many levels of separation, right? There's counsel, there's there's the broker, and then like maybe you're having a you know two hour call with the client, and maybe that's how you get to know them a little bit. But getting actually in there and being able to sort of talk with different private equity funds and educate them about the process and help lend my perspective that that's been a really exciting part again. And have you seen, has there been any particular um, industries or anything else you've kind of been focusing on in this uh, new endeavor or, or is it uh, been a little bit of everything, I guess? 
a little bit of everything. CAC has a sort of growing and you know pretty strong book right now in terms of repeat clients for this process. So there's obviously sort of the uh, stable of private equity clients that we have. Um, you know, trying to bring in new clients is also something that I think that we're we're focusing on, and you know, something I've been sort of spending my time on as well. And and I think one other question I kind of had for you, Tom, and I, you know, if somebody's out there and is listening to this, are there certain personality traits that are more attuned to an underwriter or more attuned to a broker. Um, I know sometimes there's a perception that brokers are, you know, kind of more salesmen, quote unquote, um, and it's a little bit more of that. Um, is that, have you found that to be a case? Are there certain sort of, you know, traits that you think you've, hey, if you have these traits, you should really be an underwriter or, or you should be a broker or, or they kind of cross over. I don't know if you had any kind of thoughts about that. I thought that might be something interesting to hear about. Yeah, it's funny. Like, I think maybe on an obvious sort of high level, you, you would think that underwriters tend to be a little bit more introverted. They sort of sit behind their desk. They're reading the reports. They're not really interacting with a ton of people except for their team. You know, I, I don't know if that's really just a stigma at this point, because I've known many underwriters at this point, and, and there's a lot of sort of type A, very outgoing people yeah. that are underwriters. They just, they just like underwriting, and they like, they like analyzing the risk in that way. Um, I, I do think, though, that if you have more of a type A personality and you like sort of going out there, uh, speaking with clients and solving client issues, I think that brokerage is probably like a good path for you. Um, I think that if you like to really hunker down and really got, dive into the details and get really detailed with sort of risk assessment, contract language and things like that, I think that underwriting might fit you know, your personality a little bit better. Brian, are you looking at you considering a change in careers? <laughs> no, Leave me and become a broker. You're, you're stuck with me. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, I've totally found my career path. But no, I, I think those were all great points. And I think uh, it's really important. I think you know, there's a lot of people who are underwriters and they think maybe I should be a broker or the other way around. And so I think that hearing from someone who's done both uh, both sides of the coin is actually very important. And I think our listeners will definitely benefit from that. So um, so I think we'll now move into uh, the true fun part of the show, our uh, once more under the breach part of the show, which are our three questions that we uh, ask our guests, our three fun questions, and maybe I'll kick it off today. Um, so Tom, uh, we know that you're a, a veteran here and you, you've been around for a long time. We know that we've seen a very hot market in uh, the first half of 2021, and all of us have been very busy. And um, we wanted to get your perspective on what you think the biggest change will be um, for the second half of 2021. You know, we um, rapidly approach the second half of 2021. I think I we're there. Yeah, I, I know. Jen and I were speaking about it before, and it's going to be September before you sort of finish blinking your eyes. It's going to come up very quickly. Um, in January, I feel like I would have been aggressive and had a hot take if I said that there was going to be some sort of significant changes to the, the markets that are currently out there right now. Um, given the changes that we've seen, uh, there's obviously been, I think it's public now, there's been several MGAs that have been put up for sale. Uh, we've seen a couple of new entrants come in with Mosaic and risk points going to be entering soon. We've yep. seen some markets exiting like Hamilton, who had a very sort of short stint uh, that was out there. Um, so, you know, I, I don't know if it's even a hot take anymore saying that I think we're going to see some changes with who is actually underwriting this risk out there. Um, obviously, it will be interesting to see if and when the Aon Willis thing finishes and what the impact <laughs> of all that is. Um, but yeah, so I, I think that we uh, I think that those are some 
some changes that we can expect to see. Um, I would also be uh, sort of looking out for what the market reaction is as uh, some potential COVID losses start hitting the books now that some of these companies have gone through a full audit cycle and you know the, the new buyers in there, they're understanding what's going on to see if there's some sort of market overreaction from any of that. That is an interesting point of view. Yeah, the COVID losses. I mean, I feel like a lot of the shops these days are not as concerned about COVID and they've really loosened up their underwriting. So I guess it will be interesting. Maybe we'll see a backlash to that as we move forward. Yeah, it, it's okay. interesting. There's a couple of uh, thoughts here with like, um, you know, one of the other things sort of we, we, we didn't really touch on too much, but um, I mentioned earlier about agreement modifications uh, for policy purposes. This is something that in 2014, like you didn't touch the agreement at all because right. well, in 2014, the agreements were viewed to be a little bit more middle of the road and they were a little less buyer friendly. In 2021 now, the, the underwriters have sort of shifted and they start saying, well, this is very, very buyer friendly. Like we, we want to normalize terms a little bit. Um, so it'll be interesting to see uh, what the market reaction is and how far those modifications end up going. Uh, at CAC, I think we want to make sure that, um, you know, the results in the modifications are being made to make it a little bit more middle of the road and not an overreaction right. to losses that an underwriter may have been experiencing, right? If they get a customer's, you know, contract rep, uh, you know, big claim, we don't want to see them all of a sudden carving out all, all issues related to customer, you know, contract language in, in the modifications. Sure. Well, that makes a lot of sense. So we already sort of talked about what kind of career advice you would give to someone who's looking to get into transactional risk, but maybe you can speak a little bit, you know, is it, would you tell them, oh, you should be an underwriter? Would you tell them, oh, you should be a broker? And here are like the two or three things I would do to prepare for each. Or can you speak a little to, you know, all those listeners out there who are maybe considering a job and very exciting world of record warranty insurance? Yeah, well, well, listen, I will say, I think when people hear insurance, they do typically think, okay, like, are you, do you work for Geico? Or you know, <laughs> when, I, when I told my mom that I was becoming an insurance broker, I think for the first four years, she thought I was a stockbroker. So she was very confused <laughs> for what I was actually doing. Um, my but, mom does yeah. not understand my job either. I mean, that's for sure. I, I'm yeah. done explaining. I, I really, it's, it's yeah, right. I, I love you, mom. Um, so, uh, right. yeah, I love I, you, mom, too, obviously, <laughs> making me look like a bad kid. Thanks, mom. <laughs> um, yeah, I would say that, you know, th don't be scared off if you're not a former M&A lawyer or even the other alternative route of being a CPA. I, I think that um, everyone can provide a certain level of experience and perspective given on what your background has been. Um, you know, I, I would definitely recommend, as with any job, make sure you reach out to people. Um, if anyone is interested in sort of finding out more, has some questions about broker versus underwriter, they can certainly email me. I'm happy to sort of help people out and take people under my wing. Um, but, you know, in terms of like what path you should go down, I, I really think it depends on how, how sort of your personality fits with these different paths. Um, I think you can be a type A and have a very successful career as an underwriter, but you also need to understand that when you get a deal, you know, you're going to be hunkering down for the next 36 hours reviewing right. every detail hoping that you catch everything, hoping that there's, you know, you ask the right questions on the diligence call, which it can be very fun and exciting. Uh, but, you know, it's something that you should definitely be aware of. And, you know, on the flip side of that, if you if you enjoy having the conversations with clients and you like trying to grow books of business and you like trying to offer solutions, I, I you know, a broker might be a good path for you as well. Well, thank you very much for all those insights that you shared with us. So today's mystery fun question is tom we understand you have a pool in your backyard so i'm i'm dying to know what is the favorite float that you have in the pool are you like a shark guy or like a cupcake guy like which is your favorite 
that, that's that's actually really uh, that's a really good question. So um, we end up we don't have like a great storage solution outdoor right now. For <laughs> Every year there's a lot of turnover with floats. But yeah, last, well they're like ten dollars, right? We had a gigantic toucan that took up and like my pool's not huge, but it's not like a tiny little pool, and it took up at least a third of the pool. So you can't <laughs> just be floating. And I have I have two little kids, and they would need they to make sure it. that they were not in the path of the toucan because they would literally get buried underneath, which is obviously scary. So um, yeah, yeah. I, I, I think I need to bring back the toucan. Uh, and, and have that that big float going on in the pool again. I like it. I I like those shark floats myself. It's like fun because it's like I don't know, raw or shark, but it's a float. I don't know. I like it. I don't know. Brian, do you have a favorite pool float? I, I thought I thought your reference to a cupcake was directed deliberately at me, Jenna. Given my no, I meant to be clear. Is, I meant like yeah. an actual cupcake. For our listeners, I actually have a dog whose name is actually Cupcake. So, um, so I thought Jenna was referring to that. I don't know. I don't have any. I don't have a pool, so I don't have any floats. So not real high up. But I do like the toucan. That sounds like a uh, yeah. That's funny. Yeah. Yes, I know. We won't. Maybe we'll have to have a picture of it for the show notes. So. Oh yeah. You guys can come over. I'll go get the toucan. You guys can. We'll go. Awesome. We'll tape the next show poolside. I know, I know. Podcast poolside. So, well, thank you very much, Tom. We really appreciate you you being on today. This is an excellent episode, I think, for for people who are perhaps between the two paths in this industry and figuring out what might work best for them. And um, perhaps before we go, if you want to provide people with your uh, contact information and any other uh, shameless plugs for CAC and uh, (laughs) and the great work you're doing there, we feel free to do so here. Yeah, sure. Thanks. So uh, my contact is thomas.bonfilio at CAC Specialty, and that's T-H-O-M-A-S dot B-O-N-F-I-G-L-I-O at CAC Specialty.com. Um, and yeah, you know, we have a really great team at CAC. Uh, I, I got to know a lot of the brokers when I was underwriting for a number of years. So um, there's a reason I chose to come here with, with this team. And uh, if you have any sort of questions or needs, like we're definitely here to, to help with however we can. Great. Well, we second that. You have a great team there, and they're very fortunate to have somebody as uh, as qualified as you. So, so I think that Aww. wraps up another uh, episode here, Jenna. Where will I be next week? I don't know. We'll just have know. to see. It'll give everybody. It's like where's Waldo? But it's like where's where's Carmen San Diego? Right. Yeah. Yes, that's better. I like also the throwback to the '80s. Maybe we can commission the, that band that sang their intro song to do our new intro song for us too. Where in the world? Yeah, there you go. All right. Well, on that note, we will head off today with Jenna singing. So thank you everybody. And thank you, Tom, for joining us. And until next time. Thanks guys. Thank you. Thank you for listening to Into the Breach. For show notes, additional resources, and links to the tools discussed on today's episode, please visit rwipodcast.com. The views and opinions expressed by Brian O'Keefe and Jenna Usenheimer in this podcast are their own and do not necessarily represent the views and opinions of Cyfarth Shaw, LLP, its partners, or its employees. The podcast does not provide legal or other professional services. This podcast is made available by the lawyer publishers for educational purposes only, as well as to give you general information and a general understanding of the law, not to provide specific legal advice. By listening to this podcast, you understand that there is no attorney-client relationship between you and the lawyer publishers. The podcast should not be used as a substitute for competent legal advice from a licensed professional attorney in your state. 
As defined in the State Bar of New York's Code of Professional Responsibility, this podcast is considered a form of attorney advertising. Prior results do not guarantee similar outcomes.